morning, church. Um, I don't want to, to lose this, but as we were worshiping, how many of you feel like you worshiped this morning? Whew, that's good. Um, but here's the thing. Um, as we were kind of praying there, I felt like the Lord was kind of nudging me. Um, those of you who have issues with your nose and issues with your feet. I don't know why feet. I don't know why noses. Um, hopefully, the issue with your feet isn't affecting your nose. I don't know what it is, but <laughs> I'm just saying uh, I felt like the Lord was real specific about that. So if you have um, just any type of issue with your nose, uh, like allergies or something physical or something, um, if you wouldn't mind just slipping up your hand, I promise I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want it to slip up. Or if you've got something going on with your feet, like you've got some pain in your feet or something like that, lift up your hand. Okay, those of you who are um, near there, would you just go lay on hands on the person that you see? We're just going to ask you to put your hand on them. It's okay to get up and move. It's fine if you want to do that. But, um, or if you're just aware of someone, I just feel like uh, we need to be praying for you. And uh, we're going to do that now because I don't want to miss out on what the Lord, even if he says weird stuff like feet, okay? I just, fine. I just don't want to miss out on what the Lord has to say. So those of you who are uh, maybe watching at home, you might want to pray for this too. And, you know, we're going to cover you with this prayer as well. So God, um, we're seeking first the kingdom and the kingdom is about hope and healing. And God, we believe in all of that. And so whatever issue is happening in this room right now that you are aware of, that you are prompting, I pray for your healing upon that individual. If there's issues with the uh, with nose and, and whether it's physical or whether it's allergies or whether it's just got a head cold right now, Lord, you care about all of those things. And I thank you for, for bringing your healing to that particular place in Jesus' name. And for those who are um, have issues with your feet, whether they're just tired all the time or whether they're tense or whether there's pain or whatever it happens to be, I believe that the Lord um, wants to, to bring some healing to that. Um, whether that happens right now or over a period of time, he gets to decide. But I pray, Lord, that you would um, um, do the work that only you can do right now and bring healing to those feet. That you would bring freshness and newness to our entire bodies. But those two areas, Lord, I believe that you've highlighted today. And I thank you that you're interested in these things for us. Help us to understand the kingdom perspective is that you want to do this kind of work and we're gonna trust you for it. So Lord, um, we again just pray your healing on these individuals in Jesus' name. And everybody who agrees said, amen. Amen, amen. thank you for that, I appreciate it. <clears throat> well, I'm so glad to see all of you uh, here today. Uh, we are rocking and rolling in the new year. And um, something happened last week that just, it kind of struck me as I was driving away from, from um, uh, the facility uh, last Sunday. I mentioned this to my small group and I feel like I need to, to mention it here because uh, it's really important. Tell them I said, hey, okay. Or don't forget to take your meds, one or the other. I don't know which one it is. So anyway. Um, but I think... Uh, I, I probably um, preached a message on having a theme for the year. That's what we did last week, by the way, if you weren't here. We talked about um, checking in with God about the things that he wants to do with us and, and trying to find a theme for the year or for the season or whatever it happens to be. And <clears throat> I probably preached that message, I don't know, 15, 20 times. I don't know how it's been a long time. Um, 
because I think there's a lot of value in it. Um, but there's something that, that struck me um, as I was um, driving away, is that sometimes the language that I use, and this, this is on me, but the language I use is that I'll say something to the effect of God wants to work on something with you, right? And I'm afraid that in today's culture, and when we say to work on something, the first thing we think about is either a weakness or a deficiency. And what I don't want you to do is to think in terms of um, your theme for the year as part and parcel to an annual performance review. You know what I'm talking about? When they sit you down and they talk about your strengths, but really they don't want to talk about your strengths, they really want to talk about your weaknesses, right? And, and it's like, well, you need to work on this stuff. And I, and I think sometimes our collective imagination goes in that direction as if God looks at each person and says, ooh, I see a weakness here and, and this is what we're going to work on. Now, that, that's true sometimes. I mean, there, sometimes there are certain things where God um, is looking at your heart and he's like, you know, this is a place that we probably need to shore up a little bit. We may need to reinforce this. We may need to buttress this a little bit. That may be the case, but more often than not, it has less to do with your weaknesses and deficiencies and more about the adventure God wants to take you on. Because I'm convinced that what the Lord does is he looks at each person and he goes, you know what, here's something I love about you and I want you to go deeper. That's a very different perspective than this is a deficiency. Would you agree? And I think that's what God is, is trying to do when he's talking about a theme for the year. It's not about, oh, you're really blowing it in this area, but rather he's saying, oh, wow, I have more I want to reveal to you about this, and this is going to be exciting. And what's more, I think God is excited about taking you on that journey. And that's a different thing, like, okay, Lord, hit me with it, you know, whatever it is. And, and I think sometimes we do that just by, um, by our, 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 our nature um, as human beings, as we just presume there's something wrong with us. Well, yeah, that's probably true, but God's also interesting in, in working on your strengths and the things that he loves about you because he wants you to come into fullness. He wants you to be filled. He wants you to be satisfied. Are you understand? Okay? So keep that in mind as you're going through this. And I, I'm, I really hope that it's, it's not a performance review. It, it really, really isn't. But sometimes it's a strength that he wants to make better because you know that you're going to get more return on those strengths. Or maybe he wants to go a little bit deeper with you. Just trust the adventure that it isn't some deficiency and that it is some weakness that you have and, and uh, you better get in line. That's not it at all. It's God saying, oh, wow, I've got something more for you and I don't want you to miss out. So keep that in mind. That was something that struck me uh, last week and I, I think we need to lean into that a little bit more. <clears throat> So whatever your theme is, though, the idea was to try to set us up for um, the series that we're in called Fire in the Fireplace. <clears throat> and it, it, the title of it comes from a book called Fire in the Fireplace. And the premise of the book um, goes something like this, that the Holy Spirit is the fire and the church is the fireplace. And, and that's, that's, that's ultimately... Um, what we should be seeing in each church. And, and I want to riff on it a little bit because I, I think there's, there's more to it than, than just that. 
you don't want the fire to burn in the middle of the floor, right? That's, that would be bad. But rather, you want it to, to burn in the fireplace. And so the author makes the, the point that the church is really about the fireplace. But my own thought on this is that, look, the church is not a building, but the church is a group of people. We are the church. You've heard me harp on this in the past. And if we're in the church, then God's spirit that is within us, and so therefore, not only is the church the fireplace, but the individual disciple is the fireplace. Do you understand that? It's not just something that, you know, Holy Spirit is, you know, whipping through um, just kind of randomly, but rather he's filling his people. And isn't it appropriate in Acts chapter two, when the Holy Spirit first shows up in the church, it comes as what? Tongues of fire. And it didn't land in a particular place, but on individual people. And so it is with us, is that we are the fireplace. The fire burns in the fireplace. And so what we want to look at is is kind of life, or I should say everyday life, with Holy Spirit. What does that look like? What are some of the things that we need to to know? Um, The teaching here is to set us up for an encounter with God. Now here's the interesting thing. Um, Just yesterday, Dan, Gina, Sophia, and myself, we were at a conference over at Victory Church. Bill Johnson, who's the pastor at um, Bethel Church in Reading, was the, was the speaker. And he had a bunch of little gems. But one of the things that he talked about that really kind of struck me is, um, look, it's fine for you to study the scriptures, but the scripture is to set you up for the encounter with God. And I know a lot of places, and I know a lot of pastors who rightly divide the word. They can study the scriptures, they understand it, but if they're not connecting, if they're not connected or if they're not connecting their audience back to the author, so what? It's just academic. I'm not interested in academic. A little bit interested in academic. But that's not the only thing I'm interested in. I'm more interested in the encounter that we have with the living God because ultimately that's where transformation comes from. You can read this Bible and not be transformed by it. But what you are is transformed by is when you read the Bible and his Holy Spirit comes and starts knocking on your heart's door. And whether he's trying to take care of some business that you need to take care of or if he is trying to transform you, or if he is trying to take you on an exciting adventure into the richness and beauty of God, doesn't matter. The point is you're having an encounter with a living God who loves you. That's transformative, and that's what I'm interested in, more than almost anything else. So should you do Bible study? Of course you should do Bible study. But don't forget who the person is who actually wrote the book. You with me? That's the person that you want to connect with. You want to connect back with with God. So um, understand that Bible study is important, but it's only a piece of the overall process. And that other part of the process is making sure that you're just honest with God, saying, God, what do you want to say to me today? Then don't be surprised if there are things that come out of your study that begin to meddle in your life, okay? The meddling is often God. I'll let you decide what you think is meddling or not, okay? So today we're gonna start our series in um, the Old Testament book of Leviticus. So if you've got a Bible or a Bible app, why don't you open it up? We're gonna look at Leviticus chapter six. Leviticus chapter six. Now, while you're turning there, I'm gonna tell you a little bit about Leviticus. Normally speaking, I would tell you that Leviticus is a great cure for insomnia. Second only to the book of Numbers. But Leviticus for... (laughs) 
um, all practical purposes, are instructions given to the priests of ancient Israel. So you have fundamentally three, three parts of, of Israel's guidance and leadership. You have kings, you have prophets, and you have priests. This book is designed specifically for the priests. Uh, Leviticus, it means of the Levites and its specific instructions. And it's very detailed. I mean, it's really detailed stuff. <clears throat> Hence the reference to insomnia. Uh, one researcher on Leviticus um, makes this comment that ancient Israel drew near to God through offering five different types of sacrifices. And ancient Israel lived for God by observing nine festivals. And I thought that was really useful because here we have these detailed instructions to the priests so that they got the five sacrifices right and they got the nine festivals right so that Israel could live in peace and harmony with God, okay? So that's kind of the big picture of all of this. And so you have um, um, these two, um, I, I guess I would call pathways um, for Israel in order to, to connect with God on a deeper level. And it's outlined in totality in within this book. There's different rituals, there are different tools, and there's different garments, and there's different altars, and, and all of them had certain rules and regulations and protocols and processes related to them, every one of them. And so in Leviticus 6, it begins to outline what's called the burnt offering. And as you can imagine, it's about when a sacrifice is what? Burned on the altar. So this, <laughs> you gotta be careful because it's not, we're not talking about a big barbecue here. <laughs> kind of, but not really. So imagine um, the amount of sacrifices you might be aware of in the Old Testament. The, this chapter begins to describe some of the detail related to burnt offerings. And I would say this about burnt offerings in general, <clears throat> is that they had many different functions um, depending on, on what it was that um, the, the time of year, the festival, or what the priests were trying to accomplish. And so what I would say is that the burnt offering is foundational to almost the entire sacrificial system that Israel operated on. And so here, um, what we're going to read is the handling of burnt offerings, kind of like a care and maintenance. Think of it that way, is the part that we're gonna read today. So I'm gonna pick this up in verse eight. So Leviticus chapter six, verse eight, here we go. The Lord said to Moses, give Aaron and his sons this command. Now this is important because Aaron, uh, Moses' brother, was the chief priest and his sons were priests with him. And, and so when this is written to the, the Levites, to, to uh, this particular tribe, um, Aaron and his sons were part of it, okay? So give Aaron and his sons this command. These are the regulations for the burnt offering. The burnt offering is to remain on the altar hearth throughout the night till morning, and the fire must be kept burning on the altar. Verse 10. The priest shall then put on his linen clothes with linen undergarments next to his body and shall remove the ashes of the burnt offering that the fire has consumed on the altar and place them beside the altar. See, pretty detailed here. 
Then he is to take off these clothes and put on others, thankfully, and carry the ashes outside the camp to a place that is ceremonially clean. All right, so you can picture this. Every morning, there's going to be a little dust and dustbin, and they're going to do this kind of thing, and they're going to put the ashes in a bucket next to the altar, and then they're, they're, and apparently there's you know, clothes changing going on. There's wardrobe changes, okay? And then they take it outside the altar. Verse 12, the fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning, the priest uh, is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offerings on it. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. Now, there's uh, a few acceptable uh, sacrifices, uh, sheep, um, cattle, and birds specifically. Um, goats might be too, if I remember right. So we got basically four different ones. Now, I'm going to tell a quick story here. When I was in seminary, I had an Old Testament prof, some of you may have heard this, uh, who, who was an, an expert on these sorts of things. And he was talking one day about the types of offerings that were burnt in ancient Israel, specifically cattle. And he asked this question, he goes, do you have any idea how long it takes to burn the carcass of, of a cow? And of course, you know, we're a bunch of, you know, Methodist-leaning, conservative suburbanites. We have no idea how long it takes to burn a cow. And he says, yeah, I didn't think so. He says, I wondered that one day, and so as I was driving home, I found a dead opossum in the middle of the road on the way to my house. And there was a collective groan that came up from the class. Oh. <laughs> and of course, Professor um, Stone started laughing. He says, yeah, I put it in the back of my truck, took it home, put it on the bonfire. He says, would you believe four days later that thing was still smoldering? Again, collective groan from the class, right? Like, what? Why are you telling us this? But he was trying to explain just how long this took. I mean, this is a kind of a big deal. And there are parts in Israel's history where they were sacrificing hundreds and thousands and putting them on the altar for burnt offerings. And I, I can't even imagine what that would be like. I can't imagine the stench of the thing, right? I mean, th this is a big deal. The visual of this is really kind of important. So I want to just make couple of real quick observations here, is that for ancient Israel, the altar, I guess the, the best way to describe it is that the altar is kind of the intersection of what's mystical and what's material. I mean, think about it for a moment. I mean, you know, some of you got gas or charcoal grills, and, 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 and you, you understand the material nature of this. You put fire on, you put meat, it cooks, you go inside and you eat it. There's a material component to it. But for ancient Israel, there's also a mystical piece to this. That God commanded these sacrifices, that God commanded they be consumed in this particular way. And through those sacrifices, Israel could draw near to God. That's spiritual, that's mystical. It's somewhere that these, this altar is kind of the intersection between the human and the divine. Now, you had different altars for different purposes. And burnt offerings were pivotal to the sacrificial system, especially if we're talking about atonement. The highest, holiest day of the year for Israel is Yom Kippur. That's the day of atonement. That's where a lot of these sacrifices would take place. 
And there's this elaborate protocol because it's that important um, to not only the, the religious system but to, to Israel as a people. And earlier in the chapter we read how they would go about consecrating the altar and it included blood and oil. You consecrated it with another sacrifice. You, you set it apart for holy purposes that way. And once it's consecrated, there's this perpetual fire that symbolizes the constant, unchanging holiness of God. The intersection between material and mystical, between human and divine. Now what I find so interesting about this is that that pattern sounds really familiar to me. Because think about it, you have an altar, an altar itself, you know, this thing, this grill of some type that's consecrated with the blood of an animal. And then it's set apart for special service. Only certain things are going to be burned on this particular altar at specific times and in specific ways. And there's a fire on it that symbolizes an abiding sense of holiness. I mean, you can imagine this, right? I mean, you can imagine this, this altar and the process and, and everyone um, who serves as a, as a priest gets the importance of that and so they treat it with a great deal of respect. But isn't it interesting that you and I are consecrated by the blood of Jesus? We're consecrated, we're set apart. In fact, that's what church means. Ecclesia means people who are set apart. And we're consecrated by the blood of Jesus. And we're set apart for a specific purpose, to serve him, to serve the kingdom, to expand kingdom influence around the world. And that world starts in our homes and in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces and just kind of goes out from there. But the point is, is that you're set apart for a specific service. And what's more is that the spirit of God himself is a binding sense of holiness in you. And so on the one hand, you have this, this beautiful picture of the intersection between mystical and material in the altar. But if you're completely honest with yourself because of Jesus, that intersection between human and divine is within your own heart. Do you see that? You have these two things that are running in beautiful parallel. I remember hearing this a while back. The Holy Spirit is in us for us. I need that sense of inner guidance and direction. I need to be called on my junk. I need the conviction of the Holy Spirit to show me where I'm, I'm, I'm missing out. And I need the excitement of the Spirit to to motivate me in the right directions. So the Holy Spirit is on me, is on us for us, or is in us for us, but he is on us for other people. And so what will happen is, is that you have the Holy Spirit in you, but the Holy Spirit then comes upon you so that you can minister to others. Have you ever had one of those moments where you just had the right word to say? You didn't even know you were saying the right word. And somebody will come back and go, man, I really needed to hear that today. Has that ever happened to you? That's Holy Spirit on you for others. Does this make sense? Or sometimes you may pray for someone and something happens and you know, there's healing or there's insight or there's hope. That too is Holy Spirit on us for other people. 
So the Spirit is in us for us, but the Holy Spirit is on us for the people around us. And so what Jesus does here is he accomplishes for everyone what the altar only did for Israel. You see? So you've got this picture of the intersection between material and mystical, and nowadays, because of Jesus, that's you. You get to be that intersection. You get to be that type of abiding presence, that type of holiness, that type of Holy Spirit carrier in the world around you. You get to do that. That's something Israel necessarily didn't have. And I want you to notice one other thing before we leave this. There's a command here. Did you see it? It actually occurs three times. It says the fire must be kept burning. And then twice, it must not go out. So not only does the fire need, need to keep, you know, keep burning, in case you don't understand what that means, that means it doesn't go out, okay? So I don't know about you, but sometimes I need that type of direction, right? I need to understand, okay, the fire must be kept burning and it must not go out. The holiness was maintained in order for that altar to be effective. The fire had to continue to burn so they didn't have to wait for it to warm up. That it was constantly ready to go. It was always ready for service. And so it needed to be maintained in that way. The fire allowed Israel to draw near to God. And so why on earth would you want it to go out? You want it to be kept going so that Israel could always draw near to God. And so it is with you and me. And here's the point. This is the thing that I want you to remember today. If you get a journal, you're going to want to write this one down. It's crucial to your walk with God. Trust me, I'm not making this up. I think this is really important. God lights the fire, but you have to tend it. God lights the fire inside of you, but you have to tend it. God lit the fire, commanded the fire to be lit on the altar, but the priests had to maintain it. And so it is with you and I and Holy Spirit. God will light that fire. He will put that tongue of fire inside of you. That's Holy Spirit, but you have to tend it. The relationship must be attended to. Your holiness must be maintained. Why we talk about this principle of the presence of God. Look, I, I don't know how to say this. It's not optional. If you want to follow Jesus, the presence of God is necessary in order for you to do this. Now, I'm not trying to bludgeon you with this. Really, I'm not. But giving your attention and time to him where you're listening to him is part and parcel to discipleship. It's not something that you just show up every, you know, periodically, you know, hoping God will listen to me this time or, well, maybe God will speak to me this time. But rather, it's something that has to be maintained. And as you can see, from the text in Leviticus, that was a daily thing. The priest is supposed to arrange the fire again every morning. And it's just like with you and me. God lights the fire inside of us, but we have to actually attend it. Now, in this moment, <clears throat> my guess is that some of you are realizing that you haven't attended to the flame. And, 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 and some of you, I can imagine, are probably sitting there going, Lord, is, 
is my flame out? If you're experiencing any amount of guilt or shame or condemnation, I want to tell you, and you need to listen to me, that is not from God. God is not going to guilt you or condemn you because you haven't tended to the flame. That's not from God. It's either the voice of shame or it's the voice of the enemy trying to keep you from tending to the flame. Well, it's out now. I guess guess I might as well just leave it out. Mm-mm. No. That's not from God. Instead, <clears throat> today, he's calling you back to the altar. And he's saying, hey, there might be some embers here. What should we do with that? And maybe it's a convicting moment where you're like, okay, I know I'm missing out, but it's not condemnation. It's like, no, no, I, I really want the fire. I want to know what that's like. I, wanna, I want to tend the fire because I don't want to miss out on what God might have in mind for, for me, for us, collectively. Because here's the thing that you have to remember. God's fire is never just for one person. You are blessed with it in order to pass that blessing along. Always. That's the economy of God. You know, we wonder, I don't know why we wonder these things. But it reminds me of the story. <laughs> Jesus got some four or 5,000 people. That's probably just the men. It's probably women and children mixed in there. So he got 5,000 plus. And he starts with what? A couple of fish and some loaves of bread. And he multiplies it. Why? Because he had the fire of God. There's no condemnation here. It's, there's a multiplying effect when you have tended the flame. When you realize that you can look at things from a heavenly perspective. When there's 5,000 people to fill and you have limited resources, you realize that God is no respecter of physics. He's no respecter of economics. That he's going to do the things that he's going to do. Why? Because he's God. And you get to participate in that with him. And so there's no condemnation here. There's an invitation to go, oh man, don't you want something more? I know and the answer in my heart is yes, absolutely. I want to see those kinds of things happen. And I don't think they just happened in the book. I think... They happen today, and in fact, I know they do. So instead of guilt or condemnation, God is calling you back, and, and maybe you've settled for something far less than what he has in mind. Don't do it. Don't settle. You don't have to. This is an opportunity to, to re-engage and to tend the flame a little bit more. Now, maybe this idea is new for you. I don't know. Or maybe this is um, something that you just needed to hear. Either way. I wonder if you might take a moment and pray and ask God just to reset your flame. Maybe you haven't tended to it. But your opportunity now is to say, Lord, set it ablaze one more time. Let's see what you have in mind here 
I don't know what that means for you. I don't know what your life is like day in and day out. I don't know the challenges you face, but he does. And here's the question. Wouldn't you rather face all that stuff with him than without him? And maybe you've been trying to do it on your own. Aren't you tired? And so maybe we start again and ask him to rekindle that flame so that we can tend it. God, I just wonder what you might want to do today. You already talked about feet and noses, but I suspect there are some hearts that are here that need the rekindling. And, and maybe too, Lord, there's even some doubt on knowing how to tend the flame. And so we're going to trust that your spirit knows how to teach us how to do that too. The altars of our life, Lord, I don't ever want my altar to grow cold. And I know sometimes that fire has been awfully dim, but I'm so thankful that you remind me to tend it and to fan it back into flame. And Lord, I I simply pray for every person that's here, regardless of where they're at, maybe their fire is burning bright. And I would ask you, Lord, to just continue to speak into those individuals to help them to know how to continue to tend it. And to tend it not only for themselves, but for the benefit of others. And God, I also would pray that for those who may have been a little discouraged. Lord, I just want to declare that you're breaking the spirit of discouragement in this place, even now. Those of you who have uh, felt like you've just been spinning your wheels, the Lord knows and the Lord sees you. You're going to be okay. Maybe not today, but he sees you. And he just is reminding you to tend the flame a little bit more. For those of you who have altars that seem to have gone cold, hmm, the Lord is merciful. And he loves you. And he wants to see that fire kindled again. He wants you to be that fireplace. And all it's going to take is to ask him, and you know what? If you're going to take a baby step, that's okay too. You, your, your questions and your process do not intimidate him. So Lord, I pray for every individual here, regardless of where they're at with you, that you would just show them where your spirit is located and where the fire is and that it would begin to burn brighter in their hearts because they're tending to it a little bit at a time. Teach us, Lord, how to tend that fire over the next few weeks. We might not miss out on the things that you want to do. For those of you who uh, would like to have a little, little bit of prayer over this, maybe need a little help um, with some bellows and and fanning into flame that fire again. Um, I'm going to be up on the um, left-hand side of the, of the auditorium. I'll be up at the top. I think Gina's going to be over on the right. And, and we're there just to pray with you. We'd, we would love to do that. 
um, feel free to come up and, and just say, hey, uh, I could use a little more fire. And we'll pray for you over that one. It's okay. Holy Spirit, Thrive Church is your church. We want to be a really big fireplace because the flame is so bright. That's what we want, Lord. And so I just pray that uh, as we sing, as we worship, your spirit would have the free reign to do the things that only you can do. We're excited to see what that is. And we offer these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said.